Thank you. Good morning. Uh, as Christian preached some time ago, if you don't preach up front on a new series, most of what you're uh, going to hear now you've heard before. So, sorry, Nick. It, I, tried it, I went through all the past preachers and I, I just gleaned and, and, and put it up. And, uh, so, we're all good to go. <laughs> Top dollar. You preached. I mean, what more? Quality. Look at it. Top quality. Anyway, it is good to be here this morning, and uh, nice to see everybody. I wish there were more, but uh, it is so good. I don't know why this is the popular side. It's not the popular side, but it's fine. You blessed on the left. Well done. So uh, let's have a look at Psalm 24. We're obviously in a, a series in holiness, and uh, before we started the series, I was just reading through uh, the Bible. As I've mentioned many times, I try and stick to a, a reading plan where you kind of get through the New Testament a couple of times and the Psalms a couple of times and the Old Testament at least once a year. So you, I know I've read the Bible in the year and not through a legalistic have to, I just, that's, I want it in me um, all the time. And it's amazing, I find as we're reading, God just, it's just systematic, God just highlights something as, as we go. And uh, so let me encourage you to do that. But I was reading Psalm 24. And uh, let's, let me go through it. It says, the earth, in verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. It's an incredible song. And uh, I did a morning devotion a little while ago about this psalm. And I was reading on my phone, I've got my top ten jokes. And, and I write them down. <laughs> those that have heard them, no, no, no. Those that haven't, you bring them to me. So I'm up to about number 57 now, and uh, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I was a bit horrified at some of them. They're not terrible. I mean, I'll, I'll tell them to you if you want, but not from the pulpit. And, um, so, but I did get convicted as I read this psalm, which is, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, he who has clean hands and a pure heart? And I thought, actually, I need to get rid of a couple of the jokes. And um, are you desperate to hear them? <laughs> Let me tell you who's, maybe it's more telling of who's contributed to them. That's more telling. I won't tell anybody. But verse 1 and 2 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas. And it's the, the Lord owns the earth. I want to know how to live in this earth that he created and I'm living in at the moment. He established it. It's his to live in. I want to ask him, and how do you want me to live? It's yours. It's like when I go to your house, I don't walk in and rearrange the furniture, tell you I don't like that food, I want some other food. And I honor your house. I live in your house as you would have me live in it. And it's the same with the earth that we live in. And surely we're asking God, Lord, how do you want us to live in this house? And just as an aside, I just want to quickly, I'm not talking about righteousness this morning. 
talking about holiness. Righteousness is something that's been done. It's when we're born again, we're saved, God puts us in, Jesus puts us in right standing with the Father. He, he, the Bible says that the Father looks down from heaven, sees us through a veil of Christ, sees us perfect. That's righteousness. He sees us as the righteous. We, we've, it's done. It's a done deal. I'm not talking about that this morning. I'm talking about holiness. Holiness is a completely another matter. And uh, as I've said, you've heard this, some of this. Um, holiness is a separation to God. A separation to God. It's, a, it's conduct becoming of people so separated. It's separated to Him and it's a conduct that we do, the way we behave when we're with Him after we've been with Him. It's expected behavior after we've been saved. And uh, it's a decision of our will as opposed to something that Jesus has already done. It's something we choose to do. As Kathy said a little while ago, it's a winnowing. We allow God to winnow us. We allow him to throw us up and get rid of the, the chaff. And it's living to please him. And the big kicker is this, it bears fruit. It bears fruit. It's a wonderful, amazing thing. And Andrew Womack says this, he says, holiness is fruit, not root. We've heard that before. Holiness is fruit, not root. It's not the way to God. It's a byproduct of being born again. And it's not the way, we don't live holy to get to God or to get God to love you. He already loves me. He's done that. He's done the wooing and uh, we don't live holy to get saved. That, that's done. That, that we live holy because we are motivated by our love for Christ. We love him and we want to do what he has for us. And that's why we live in a way that he wants us. Because we love him, we love the Holy Spirit, we love the Father. We say that's what we're going to live differently to you. And uh, we respond to the love of God rather than getting him to respond to us. He's already got us. He's already, he's the one that's wooed us. And we respond to that. And so you've heard all that. So this morning I just want to go a little bit of, well, how do you do that? It's easy to hear that's what it is, but how do we do it? And I've got three little things that we're going to quickly go through. And uh, as my friend over there said, don't do in 50 minutes what you can do in 20 minutes. So I'm going <laughs> to try and speak for, for less than 50 minutes. So don't panic. And the first point is this, that we don't conform to the world. That's our job. Don't conform to the world. Romans 12 verse 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we are called to be different, to be otherwise. That's our calling in, in life. The early Christians were known as the way. They were different. They weren't the same as, as the rest of the world. They were known as those who did not conform to the way of the world. They had clean hands and a pure heart, and they changed their ways. The Bible tells us they stopped sacrificing their children to the gods. I mean, who would do that? Well, they would. They'd sacrifice their children. They, would, they treated their slaves as brothers. You go and look at Philemon. Paul says to Philemon, please treat Onesimus, who was your slave, as your brother. They changed the way they did things. They completely were different. They laid down their idols. They laid their money at the apostles' feet. They sold property and they brought it to the to the apostles, they treated their children with respect. They were amazed. It was a complete change. 
And so let me ask you this this morning. What are we doing with our idols? Because we've all got them. Um, C.J. Mahaney says the heart is a factory of idols. It's the idol factory. Everything, you put one down and another one pops up. And uh, our children are our best idols. Those are our favorite idols in the whole wide world. And don't touch my children. Someone comes and says, listen, your child's doing X, Y, Z. We get so defensive. Man, just relax. That's your love. People are loving us and they're trying to help us. And, but what, is our, what are we doing with our idols? What are we doing with our finances? What are we doing with our time? What are we doing? This little thing, a little watch. Is this mine or is it yours? Or is it God's? God's, God's time. God, that's what we're here for is God. Laying our, our, our idols down. And uh, the early disciples, they listened to Jesus' sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 5. They took it and they said, in fact, it goes on through to chapter 7, I think, and, and they, they heeded it. They, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that mourn, blessed are the meek, the merciful, the peacekeepers. And they took that to heart and they said, what are we going to do about it? Friends, those things in that, song, in that uh, preach on the mount are not of the world. They're completely different. Did you notice... For me, this was stark. In the Olympics, which happened just as just passed and the Paralympics start, the first world athletes that won a medal compared to a third world athlete, generally speaking. In fact, the one woman said, I worked hard, I deserve this medal. Every one of them, was, was, they, they felt they deserved it, they felt it was, it was for them. Generally, the third world people said they were so grateful for the opportunity. Many of them thanked God and were so grateful that they were able to participate and win a medal. It was stark in its difference. And it just struck me, that's how we need to be in the world. It is a stark difference between a believer and an unbeliever. It's like being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. A peacekeeper is a person who goes into a conflict situation and gets people together so that they can sort out their differences. A peace, what did I say? Peace, peacemaker. Did I say peacemaker? Sorry. That is a peacemaker. Bring people together. Peacekeepers go in and divide people and keep them apart. That's not Christians. We don't do that. We don't separate. We go in, bring people together, talk it through, and fix it up. That's different to the world. It's completely otherwise. It's the Sermon on the Mount, different. We are otherwise known. That sermon is the best known teaching of Jesus. If you say Sermon on the Mount, lots of people know. Even unbelievers, I oh know they've heard of that. It's probably the least understood and definitely the least practiced. It's an incredible thing. Maybe today we start. It's a manifesto for Christians. It's a wonderful thing. And before we get accused of being legalists and telling us we have to do this and have to do that, friends, it's just with a heart of adoration and a response to Jesus that I want to do this thing. And it keeps us on a road where we don't conform to the world. And the two or three words that best describe for me the Sermon on the Mount is it was a Christian counterculture. Counterculture, one word. Christian counterculture. It's a counterculture of, of the day. It sets us apart. Today's counterculture is don't tell me what to do. I've got it. Don't you put that on me. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. Don't tell me I can't. That's today. 
You know, and it's gone. People came home from the World War II and they thought, oh, they'll rebuild and everything will be great. And they realized that the war hadn't changed anything. Didn't solve any issues. People were still the same. Get into Vietnam War and people said, okay, well, if we put daisies in the, the uh, soldiers' rifles, that'll stop the war. Well, that didn't stop the war and it didn't solve any issues either. Nothing, and people just get more and more disillusioned and so we start looking for love in sex and peace in drugs. And that's not counterculture. And people just, the, the, the one place that we should be looking for a counterculture is the church. And so often we look at the church and we find it's not counterculture, it's just conformist. It's just the same in the church as we behave the same way. We're taking just as many people to court in church than we are in the world. And we're saying, well, now what? And we should be completely, completely different. The Israelites were not counterculture. Man, they went and got wives from the next door neighbors' uh, countries, the very place God said, don't go, don't, I want Israelite wives for you, Israelite men. But they went and got them. They went and uh, they, they even said, it, it tells us in Numbers 23 verse 9, they even said, we want to be like other nations with a king. The very thing God said, don't do that. We want, I want you to be different. I'll be your king. And... Uh, it's an incredible thing when we read the Sermon on the Mount. We have to think of these things, of the culture and what Jesus called us to be different. Not to take our cue from the world and the, 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 the nominal church. Friends, we are a radical church. Not from the surrounding world, but from Him. And we can't listen to the popular culture. It's so easy to listen to the popular culture of the day. Friends, I mean, we all remember, I shouldn't be saying this. Remember when it, we were told that beetroot kills HIV? Remember that? A long time ago. Seems like. And we think that's ridiculous. That was what was told. I mean, no one believed it, but that was what we were told. Abstinence stops HIV, friends. The only thing. Still the only thing. But we are called to be different. We're called to be light in the darkness. Called to be salt. We're called to be these incredibly noble people, nobler than our neighbor. And uh, Jesus' followers are different from the nominal church, friends. We, that's not the nominal. Anybody can be a part of the nominal church. You get born into that. We get born into, into, I was born into the nominal church. I used to go to church at Christmas and Easter. Made no difference to our lives whatsoever. But we've got to live with this holiness in mind. With this, sorry, I keep looking there. We've got to look at, we've got to, with holiness, we live holy. We live with clean hands and a pure heart. And it's how, what God has given us, how God has created us to be. And the Sermon on the Mount is a clear delineation between the believer and the non-believer. And uh, that's, A.B. Bruce, an author, says this. He says, everybody who has ever heard of Jesus of Nazareth and knows anything at all about his teaching must surely be familiar with the Beatitudes with which the Sermon on the Mount begins. Their simplicity of word, profundity of thought have attracted each fresh generation of Christians and many others besides. The more we explore their implications, the more seems to remain unexplored. Their wealth is inexhaustible. We cannot plumb their depths. Truly, we are near heaven now. There is holy living in this incredible sermon. And 1 Peter 1.15 repeats Leviticus 11 says, Be holy because I am holy, says God. And I want to be like Jesus. Don't you want to be like, I don't want to die like Jesus, but I do want to be like him. 
I want to be like, I want to behave like him. So I'm going to be holy. I want to stand in his presence with clean hands and a pure heart. So we start by not conforming to the world. We don't do that. We put a, let's put a stake in the ground today that we are not going to conform to the world. That doesn't mean we're rebellious. It doesn't mean when the government says X that we do Y. It just means we don't conform to the world. When we're standing, one day they're going to let us watch sport on the side of the field with our children again. I don't know when, but one day. And in that day, let's not get sucked into hating the other school. Look, I, that's a hard one for me. Let me tell you something. I'm the worst at that. But we don't. We want the other school to do well. Not to win, of course, but to do well. <laughs> to do well. So that's the first thing. Don't conform. The second thing is this. Flee temptation. Flee temptation. The war is in the mind. It's not about being holy. It is about being holy, sorry. But it starts in the mind. Start, before the action, it's in the mind. And uh, the process of letting your mind go down the unholy dark path. You know, and you start thinking, no, no, I'm not thinking there, I'm going here. That's when it stops. And if we don't stop it then, then we're in trouble. So Sam, my son, is learning how to drive. So he thinks he's a rally driver already, but, but I'm his pair of eyes in the, on the road, believe me. And I have to be those eyes because he'll turn down a no entry sign without thinking. I've got to be, whoa, whoa, don't go there. Oh, sorry. And we back, straight away we're back on the straight path. Might take a bit of time to get around. But isn't it amazing when you drive past a no entry sign, it is for me, you have to look down just to see why. Everybody looks down the road to see why. I mean, you might crash into the guy in front of you, but you do have a good look. What on earth? They have to go all the way around the block. Friends, there's a good reason why there's a no entry sign there, always. It's not just a good idea. It's a don't go down that road. Why? Because once you're in there, you can't turn around invariably. You invariably crash into something, or someone's coming out the other way, and they want to box your head in. Friends, we don't go down the no entry sign. It's just a bad, bad idea. And once you're down there, very hard to turn back. And, you, and you, it's very true. I've seen Seaway Drive. It's very true. So it's the same on our, when our mind starts going. You know, in the computer, and you, and, and you know, you, I shouldn't go there, but I'm just going to click once. Just to see and make sure that it's definitely I mustn't be there. So you, uh, you click once and, yo, no, I mustn't be there, definitely. But then, well, why can't I go, and I'll just another click. Two clicks and you're done. Two clicks, we finished, you're down the road, it's finished, the end of the game. You know there's that old uh, advert that said, we only want to have yeah, one click. Well, we only want no clicks. Don't even click there. Friends, we're not clicking down there. The minute you turn down that road, whenever our mind goes there, phone a friend, stand up, walk away, and go and do something else. Phone a friend, phone Jesus. Get it. Jesus can fix it. We, I'm not talking about how yeah, it's impossible. Once we've sinned, we're done. No, Jesus can fix it. That's the amazing thing about Jesus. We can get before him and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Please restore my clean hands and a pure heart. I want to stand before the Father. I want to get into his presence. And he can. And he's an incredibly amazing God. And he's gracious. And as G.K. Chesterton says, fairy tales do not tell children 
that dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be slayed. And in Bible terms, we don't have to teach children that sin exists. Trust me, I haven't taught any of my children how to sin. They, they know. They're very good at it. In fact, I'm good at it. We don't have to teach anybody that. But what the Bible does tell us is that sin can be beaten. Sin is overcome. Jesus has overcome the sin. Jesus can win us back, friends. And, uh, you know, we, I was just thinking, we wouldn't dream of washing our hands in a sewer pipe. You know, your sewer main where sewage is, you wouldn't wash your hand, you wouldn't drink that water, you, it wouldn't enter your head to do it. Then you go and wash your hands in the sewer and then you go and talk to your friends. I mean, you just wouldn't. It's like, Jesus, you, we, we go down the no entry sign and then we go and everything's fine. No, no, he washes us clean. We can approach him with sewer hands, but he washes us clean so that we can get before the Father. Say, Lord, forgive me. But why go there? Why do we even need to go to the sewer? Just stay away from the sewer. Stay away. Let me encourage you. Stay away from that. I've told this story before. I was, I was an engineer at one point building the walkway between the Cabana Beach Hotel and the next hotel. And uh, there was a, we had a huge excavator at the bottom, half past seven in the morning, on the beach, on the walkway. And there's a massive sewer main runs along that. Half past seven in the morning, peak hour use of sewer mains. I don't know if you noticed. Anyway, I told the guy, do not dig there. I turned around, truth Bob, he lifts the whole sewer line out the ground. Sewer, sewage runs onto the Amschlange Rocks main beach. Covers it. Just fantastic. I looked at it. I said, that's wonderful. And I turned around and I fled. I drove, I got into my car and I drove. Friends, we've got to flee from sewage. <laughs> Always. Do not stay around the sewer. I came back the next day. Everything was fine. <laughs> Friends, we've got to flee temptation. Flee. It says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Hebrews 12.1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 1 Corinthians 10.12, no temptation has seized me except that which is common to man. Isn't that a radical scripture? The kicker is, is he will provide a way out. And you think, man, I can't resist. It's so bad, I just, I'm going to fall. No, no, he's going to provide a way out. An elder on us one Sunday went up to a man once and said, there's something not quite right here. What's going on? Can I help you? The guy said, there's nothing wrong. I'm perfectly fine. He went out and committed fraud over time the next day, literally the next day, and went to jail. He had a way out. God had showed him and given him a way out. Friends, we've got to flee, we've got to throw off, and there is always a way out. We're going to have clean hands and a pure heart. Yes, Jesus forgives us. Of course he does. But why go there? We've done it. He's been it. He's done the cross, done the job. Let's not have to do it again and again. And then lastly, to obey God's word. We have this incredible weapon called the word of God. So a beautiful piece of paper. Mine is getting yellow. I'm so loved. I used to think, look, that's so dirty. I love that my Bible's getting yellow. 
Man, it's rather have a trashed Bible. At least you know that your life's probably not falling apart. Part of accepting Jesus as our Lord is obeying the word. He saves us and he gives us a map. Gives us a map. I can't, let me not say that. Your phones, friends. Yes, you can read the Bible on your phone. You really can. But I challenge you. They say you read it 30% slower than if you read a hard copy. Get a Bible and read it. Get paper in your hands. And you're going to say, I'm old and don't understand. That's fine. The Bible, friends, is not a legalistic command of you will do this or this will happen. No, it's a you're saved now. Now do this and I'll show you how to live. I'll give you a way out. I'll give you these things. I'll give you tools in your hand. It's Proverbs 17.3 says, The Lord tests your heart. Now, I've written in the, in the thing of my Bible, Lord, that I might never be found wanting. Am I found wanting? Often. But I want to be less and less. Proverbs 7, verse 1, 2, 3 says, My son, keep my words and store my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye. That's a beautiful thing. Apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. That's why I read through the Bible every year. I want it in my heart. Doug MacDonald reads the Proverbs every night. He says he wants wisdom. If it's wisdom literature, put it in his heart that he gets it in him all the time. Um, and if, you've learned, if I've learned anything from Doug, man, he wants to be Enoch. He wants to be taken into heaven and he wants it on his uh, gravestone. I walk, he walked with God. That's what he says uh, he wants on his, on his tombstone. It's a beautiful thing. And just as a last example, I don't know why, but I was reading about wasabi, that Bernie Green stuff that you get with sushi. Must be the most thrown away uh, food in the world. No one eats the wasabi. Anyway, some does. Some does. Some do. But anyway, what I read was that it needs very specific terrain, water, and soil conditions to grow. You can't just grow it in your, uh, in your back garden. It grows in the mountain regions of Japan, in the river valleys, and a few hours of direct sunlight is all it needs. Too much and it dies. Its roots need to go into running water. So it's got to be in a river where there's soil, but the water runs, runs through, and it grows between 8 and 20 degrees Celsius. And uh, so wasabi, it doesn't go around thinking, I wish I lived in the desert where it was hot. And it just gets on with living where God created it to live best and in the best conditions. And that's the Bible. God gives us the best conditions to live in, and he says, that's how you can live. So when the Bible says don't murder, it's not a killjoy thing, oh, flip, I can't murder. No, it's just a, it's a cracker command so that you live life well and that it goes well with you. So let's not moan. The word of God, friends, is that sword of the spirit and the spirit sets us alight. And so what is it? That we're not of the world? Resist temptation, flee, and we have the word of God within us. Friends, we can approach God with clean hands and a pure heart, holy, and then we'll burn for Jesus. Holiness, friends, is kindling for the Holy Spirit. Gives us him that just he can set us a light and people can watch us burn the way that God intended us to burn. Amen.
Wonderful.